Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody out here this Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be continuing in our teaching series, the book of Acts, that we've entitled The Gospel Unleashed. And we are going to be in Acts chapter 21, verse 18. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 22, verse 24. Um, the title of my message this morning is, to, is Learning to Love Like Paul. Learning to Love Like Paul. Paul. And you know, the Apostle Paul, if you've been with us or if you know anything about the scriptures, we know that he is a great example of someone who knew how to love, right? He knew how to love God. He knew how to love the church. He knew how to love God, which is the up. All right, let's start this over. He knew how to love God, which is the he knew how to love the church, which is the he knew how to love the world, which is the Bill, I can't hear you. Thank you. All right. And so we're going to look at Paul this morning. Uh, we're going to be examining his personal testimony, how he went from being a raging God-hater and church persecutor, how he went from being that to being transformed into a roaring, Jesus-loving disciple. And I don't know about you, but I remember the day that, for me, when it when everything that I had been taught by my parents and by my teachers at, at church and even my teachers in school, I was in a private Christian school. I remember the day that all of that just came to life in, in me. And my eyes were opened for the first time to three basic, basic three things. Number one, I, realized, I began to realize that I'm a sinner, that I am uh, fallible, and that I deserved punishment. Secondly, second thing I realized is, is that I needed a savior because I was a sinner. I knew I couldn't save myself. And the third thing, which is the beautiful thing, is I began to see the beauty of Jesus. How he willingly took my punishment upon himself. And I remember as a young child understanding, and I understood this, that because I believed what he did for me, I would never perish but I would have eternal life. And guess what I, I became? I went from being a raging child. If you knew me, I'm not going to go into my testimony this morning, but if you knew me, you did not, when you saw me coming your way, you knew you had trouble coming your way. But I went from being a raging child to a roaring evangelist at the age of six because I told everybody I talked to, I believe in Jesus. Jesus has saved me. And I began to share the gospel as much as I knew as a six-year-old. But you know what happened? As time went on, I realized something happened to me. That raging evangelist that was in me began to kind of, the, the, the fires began to kind of go down, and I came back down to earth. And I, over the years, I've been saved for about 45 years. That was, yeah, so, uh, and over the years, I've seen a pattern in my life. I have realized in my life, there's times I'm like raging evangelist, but there's other times that I, uh, battle with temptation. I battle with sin. I battle with anger. I battle with lust. 
There have been times in my 45 years that I have been in valleys of depression. I just didn't want to keep going forward. There's been times I've been in valleys of doubt, of questioning my faith. Uh, I've asked, am I really a child of God? If I am, why do I keep on sinning? And, and I've even questioned my love for God. And there was even a season in my life where after I believed, I questioned the existence of God. But you know, now I want to assure you something. God is faithful. I believe in God. I believe he saved me. I believe in all the things that uh, I'm going to teach this morning. But God is faithful to always bring his sheep back to himself. He will not forsake his people. But I'm bringing all this up here at the beginning of this message because um, when we look at the life of Paul and his seemingly unquenchable fire that he had, he had a, it seemed like this passion, this love for Jesus, and a, a passion to make him known. It's so great. Sometimes we can wrongly assume that the Apostle Paul never struggled with anything I just shared. Now, I don't know if you can relate to what I just shared with you about your testimonies. Many of you are going, I can, I can relate. But do you think the Apostle Paul did? Sometimes I think we don't think he did because of passages in Acts. A few weeks ago, Paul is addressing the elders. He says this in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And then last week, we looked at, as Pastor Terry was preaching, we looked at how the disciples were trying to persuade him, don't go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be good for you. And what does Paul say? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die. I mean, he is passionate. He is willing to be put to death for the name of Jesus. So we see in, in the passages as we're studying the scriptures and as we're studying Paul, we see a man who is motivated, he's driven, he has this love for, for Jesus. But I want to I encourage you this morning, if you're like me and you can relate to my testimony, I want to encourage you that Paul did too. And the reason I know that is because he wrote about it in other places in the scriptures. He wrote about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. He says, for I have, this is after he was a believer, he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For, look at this, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Then in verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law. This is a truth that I have found, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Can you relate to that? When you want to do the right thing, there, is, there seems to be this war, this struggle that is telling you, ah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to keep pushing on. You don't keep, need to keep moving forward. And Paul is saying, that's me. I, I don't just, I don't have this super chip in me that just makes me go forward. Here's what he says in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this. This is good news. He's talking about, in Philippians, he's talking about having a love and a relationship for Jesus, everything about him. He says, not that I've already obtained this, that I'm or am already perfect. He's not saying he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but that in his relationship, he's not perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Now, some of us stop right there with this type of passage, 
And then we're like, all right, I'm just going to press on and make it my own. But, G, uh, but Paul gives us the motivation. Here's why he presses on. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul struggled, but he pressed on because he understood and he believed the gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus had made him his own. And because of that, because he kept growing in that, he wanted others to know, to have what he had. And so the love of Christ, his understanding of love Christ, love for him is what compelled him to move forward. Not, I'm just going to do it because I'm supposed to. So we need to see that Paul was a healthy disciple. Pastor Terry mentioned this earlier. A healthy disciple is, grows in three ways. They grow, thank you, Kevin, they grow, and they grow, right? And what I want us to do this morning, I don't want us to just sit here and, and to either sleep or just listen to this message and let it think it's for somebody else. This message this morning is a message for each one of us to examine ourselves. Whether you're a disciple of Jesus or you're not, I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask three questions this morning. Well, the first one is this. Are you a healthy disciple of Jesus? That's, that's the overarching question we're going to be asking this morning. Are you, not me, don't worry about me today, worry about you today. Are you a healthy disciple of Jesus? And under that, there's three questions we're going to be asking to, to determine this. Are you growing in your love for God? Notice I'm using the word growing. Okay, Paul said I'm not all the way there yet. I'm still growing. Are you growing in your love for the church? And are you growing in your love for the world? When I say growing in your love for the world, I don't mean the things of the world. I'm saying the people that are in the world that are not yet in the church. Do you have a love to see, a desire to see people come to know Jesus? All right, you with me on that? And if you came in this morning and got a weekly, those three questions are on the back of, of the weekly so that you can take that home with you and to be examining yourself. Uh, and I want you to be real with yourself in this. Are you growing? Are you really? Now, if, we, if I'm sitting here talking to you after church, like, how you doing? What's the, what, what do we usually say when someone says, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. But I hadn't read my Bible in three months. I haven't been to church in, in six, and I, and I don't know the last time I shared my faith. But I'm good, okay? Be truthful as the Holy Spirit examines you this morning. Because we want to, by the end of this message, I want you to be able to go, yeah, I'm going to begin growing. I'm going to be growing in Christ. Okay, so you with me? All right, first question. Are you growing in your love for God? Now, how do you know the answer to that? other than, yeah, I am, or no, I'm not. Well, number one, you will profess it with your mouth. The first proof that you are growing in your love for Christ and, and love for God is that you'll profess it with your mouth. It's very, uh, you'll, you'll profess that Jesus is Lord. You'll profess that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. You'll profess that, you, you'll say, I love God. Okay, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Because if what's very clear is when someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in God, that's very clear that that person is not growing in their faith. But look at what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if he's dwelling in you, you will not curse the name of Jesus. 
And then he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean that uh, an atheist or a Buddhist or uh, someone that doesn't believe in Jesus can't go, Jesus is, Jesus, he can't say Jesus is, no, that's not what that's saying. It's basically saying that they don't truly in their heart and in their mind agree that Jesus is Lord. They can't profess it from a heart of true faith. So, are you growing in your love for God? Number one, you will profess it with your mouth, it does, but that doesn't, that's not all, okay? Because Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here's the second test that you need to know whether you're growing in your love for God, and that is that you will profess it with your life. You will profess it with the way that you live your life. You will bear a certain kind of fruit. And that, fr- that certain kind of fruit is that you will love people. 1 John 4, 21 and 21 says, If anyone says, I love God, you know, professes with their mouth, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a what? A liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love he, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, look at it right here, whoever loves God must also love his brothers, his brother. In other words, if we love God, we will love people. And we're going to see in, in our passage this morning that there are two categories of people. There are, there's the church and there's the not church, which we would, we're going to call the world, okay? Um, you're going to love in, and you're going to love out. So let's start with the church. Are you growing in your love for the church? Now, now we're going to get into our passage this morning. We're going to look at um, Acts 21, and in verse 18, what happens is Paul finally gets to Jerusalem, and what does he do? He immediately goes to the church. He finds the church in Jerusalem, and it says that the brothers received him or them gladly. So they're, they're, he's excited to be around the church. And then the next day, uh, in verse 20, it says that he gets with James, which was, he was the half-brother of Jesus, but he seems to be the ruler or the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He gets with James and some other elders, and he begins sharing what God had done while he was on his missionary journeys in the churches, and and amongst the Gentiles. Look at verse 20. It says this. And when they heard it, when James and the elders heard what God was doing amongst the Gentiles, they glorified God. You see what happens here? The believing Jews in Jerusalem rejoice because the Gentiles are coming to faith in God. This is a proof. This is a fruit that they are growing in their love for God because they're excited about what God is doing in the lives of Gentiles. We'll get to, and I'll show you what I mean by that in just a minute. And they said to him, so Paul shares what's going on in his ministry, and now they're going to share what's been going on in their ministry. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed So they start sharing, there's thousands in in Jerusalem. Since you've been gone, thousands have come to faith in him. So they're having this this time of 
joy together, sharing what God has done amongst them. But then look what they say here. They are zealous for the law. Now, what does that mean? The Jews that believe in Jesus are zealous for the law. Well, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they believe that the law, that them keeping the law is going to save them. They've come to a realization that the law actually showed them they needed a savior. So they stopped trying to fulfill the law for righteousness and they put their faith in Jesus. So when it says that they are zealous for the law, it means that they were still zealous for their culture. They loved being Jewish. They loved their traditions. They loved certain customs that are in the law. They loved being a Jew. And then uh, James and the uh, elders are going to tell Paul something. They're going to say, listen, we got we got something we gotta, I got to tell you. And it's kind of bad news. It says in verse 21, and they have been told, the new believers have been told that you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our custom. Is this true, guys? Church, is this true? Is this, is this fully true of what Paul is doing? Is he telling them to forsake that? No, his enemies... Those who are from uh, Ephesus and other places have come to Jerusalem that rejected Jesus, and they're stirring up the believers, and they are exaggerating what Paul has done, implying that Paul, because he was among the Gentiles, had been influenced by those unclean uh, Gentiles, and that he was teaching the Jews to forsake the Jewish heritage. And he wasn't, but he wasn't against the Jews practicing their customs as long as two things were being fulfilled. Number one, they weren't trusting in their works and those customs to save them. Paul was okay with that. Secondly, as long as they didn't try to force them upon other people. Um, we need to be reminded, don't we, what a, the difference between a custom and a commandment. I'm going to remind you what the difference is between a custom and a commandment. A commandment is something that God has given us Husbands, what? You better tell me something. Love your wives, right? Love and cherish and protect and lead and care for your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Live with them in an understanding way if you can. That's the commandment. That's not optional. It's not like, uh, you know, I don't, nah, that's not for me. If you are a, a disciple of Jesus, you're a, this is just one example. Husbands, love your wives. Now, a custom, on the other hand, falls into the category of preferences. It's something that you are allowed to participate in, but not required to. You're allowed, but not required to by God. For example, Christmas. Just that word produced something or didn't produce something in you, didn't it? Now, there are some people that I would call... Christmastarians. I mean, they are serious about the religious side of Christmas. It's Jesus' advent. It's when the Word became flesh. We are not going to commercialize Christmas. We are not going to uh, make light of it. We want to keep Jesus in Christmas. We don't want to have Santa Claus, etc., etc., right? And that's okay. But then there's others who 
celebrate Christmas in a different way. They would say, you know what, nowhere in the scripture does it teach us that we have to celebrate Christmas. There's no commandment to celebrate Christmas, and there isn't. Um, so when, when I have Christmas, this person would say, I'm not going to be as rigid. We're going to have, I'm going to enjoy the music. I'm going to enjoy the family gatherings. I'm going to commercialize it and buy lots of stuff for people, and I want people to, to buy lots of stuff for me. Now, some of us are going, amen. Some of us are going, ugh, right? Right now, I can, I'm just looking at your faces. But that is a, this is, this is one of those customs that we have freedom to participate in as long as we don't sin within that, that freedom. So a custom is permissible, but it is not required by God. And you know what? The level of your maturity is shown by the way you, whether you can see this or not, between your custom and God's command. And these young believing Jews in Jerusalem, they're still young. They may not be able to see the difference. And so they, they are zealously enjoying their Jewish customs. And the problem is, is that, that uh, Paul's reputation had been tarnished by unbelieving Jews, which had the potential to cripple his ministry while he was among the Jews. You see what the problem is right now? They've been told, he's not one of us anymore. He has become a dirty Gentile. Well, let's see what happens in here. Verse 22 they said, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow, and take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their, so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So James and the elders are encouraging Paul to love the church, to love the end. For the sake of the gospel, they are encouraging Paul to lay down your rights, to love the church by doing something that you're not required to do. Go with these men to the temple and pay a lot of money, your money, for them to do something that you don't have to do. Show them, in other words, he's saying, show the church with your time and your money. It was a week, eight days that, that this was going to take place. He's going to have to do this for eight days and spend his money, a lot of money, to show the rest of the church, I am one of you guys. There's nothing true about what you've heard about me. And so what does Paul do? Well, let me, before I go into what Paul does, let me ask you this. When was the last time you did something like this? You did something that you didn't have to do, but you did it for the sake of the church. I'll tell you when some of you did it. This morning, when you drove up and you saw we were outside. Some people, there's three responses to outside. Praise God. I love being outside. I love hearing the birds. I love those cars driving by. I love the distractions. Number two, I love sweating. There's another group that's like, whatever. Then there's another group, and I'm not looking at anybody, but you know your heart that when you drove up, you went, <sighs> but you sat down. You're here. You want unity. This is just a small example. This is not about heaven or hell outside, but we have preferences. So what does Paul do? 
Let's look in the scripture. Verse 26 says, Then Paul took the men. Okay, so he's going to do what was suggested. And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each of them. Paul is doing what? He's operating in love. He is loving the church. He is loving in. And, he, and he's not doing it just by his, what he says. He's doing it by how he lives, by his time and by his resources. He's seeking to remove any obstacle that would get in the way of him being able to profess Jesus and get in the way of the unity of Christ. Church, are we, are you growing in your love for the church in this way? And there are some of those, there are some that would say, you know what, you know, I love Jesus, I love God, but I just don't like, I don't get up with the organized re- religion. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you say that. I've said that before, actually. I don't, I'm not good with organized religion. As if the church in Acts wasn't organized. The church in Acts was very organized. They have elders, leaders, prophets. It's very organized. They came together at a certain time. A second thing I've heard is, man, I, I love Jesus, man. We are tight. I'm growing in my relationship with him, but I don't connect with the church because there's too much drama, there's too much hypocrisy, and also I've been hurt by the church. And I, I don't want to make light of those. I don't want to deny that any of those things are true because I agree with all of those concerns. I hate that that is in the church. There, there is a lot of drama in the church at times. There's hypocrisy in the church, and people get hurt in the church. But you know what the problem with all this is? I am guilty of all those things. I'm guilty of being dramatic at times. I'm, I'm guilty of struggling with hypocrisy, and I've hurt people in the church too. Um, but those are not reasons to not be a part of his body. Because we need to remember this, Jesus loves his church. How do we know Jesus loves his church? He died for it. He died for it. And if you say you love Jesus, but you don't love his church, it's like you coming to me and going, man, James, I love you, but I hate your family. Now, if you told me that, I would be like, really? Why? I would want to know. I really would want, why do you hate my family? Uh, is, there a, is there something they've done or we've done? I, that's what I should do. But if you said, I just do, I just, I don't want to be around your family, but I love you. No, you don't. You don't love me if you hate my family. Why? Because we are so united that when you do something to my family, you're doing it to me. Or if you don't do something to my fam- for my family, you've not done it for me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the church, that's how connected Jesus and his church are. So if you say you love God, then you're going to love his church. That's a, that's a test that you can, you can uh, bank on because you cannot accept Jesus and reject his family. All right, let's go to the last one, number three. Are you growing in your love for the world? Are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your love for the church, the end? Are you growing in your love for the world? Those who are outside the church, those who have yet to come to be a part of the church. Well, verse 27 in our passage, it says, when the seven days were almost complete, when Paul had paid for these men, it says the Jews from Asia, now these are not, the believing Jews, these are the unbelieving Jews that had probably come from a place called Ephesus. If you all remember, that's where Paul had talked to the elders in Ephesus. Paul had been there. There had been a riot in Ephesus because of Paul preaching the gospel there. But they came and seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, 
help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks or he even brought Gentiles into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. See, Trophimus was from Ephesus. He came with Paul and Luke and the others. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, once again, what we're seeing here, what's going on here? We're seeing the hatred that the Jews who had not believed in Jesus had for the Gentiles. Even though the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants and I'm going to bless the Gentiles. It's from the very beginning. God's plan has always been to include the Gentiles. Always. So, you know, even in the first temple, Solomon's temple, y'all remember Solomon's temple? Solomon's temple was uh, built by Solomon. He was David's uh, son, King David's son. You remember the one that killed the Goliath, killed the giant? He built the temple. Now, listen, in that temple, I'm going to go real quick. There was these places that, that uh, only priests could go, Holy of Holies and, and other places. But then there was this outer court, this big outer court. In the original temple, before it was torn down by Babylon, it was open to Gentiles. Anyone that would come and pray and worship God it was open to. Now, the temple that Paul's in right now is the temple that was built by Herod. This temple had, still had those same places that the only priests could go, but it had a courtyard that was now divided into three places, three courts. The court of men. Okay, this is all wrong, okay? But this is what they were doing back then. Men, the court of women. And then there, there were these signs that were put up right here, and the court of the Gentiles, or the court of the Gentiles was here. And this is what these, these signs read. From what I've read, archaeologists have actually found signs that, said that, that say this. It says, if you go past this point, you be, will be responsible for your own death, which will shortly ensue. This was the one place that the Roman government allowed the Jews to practice capital punishment against anyone that came into their courtyard against their will. So you can see that there's this, um, these barriers that are still up to the Jews that have not believed in Jesus. And so they're stirring up the crowds. They drag him out, Paul out of the temple, and they begin beating him until Roman um, soldiers come up and they rescue him. And, and then it says in verse uh, 33, then the tribune, the tribune would be a high-ranking Roman military official, came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. So we got Paul in, bound with two chains. If you remember last week in our passage, a prophet named Agabus prophesied that Paul, he took his belt, he said he tied up his hands and his feet. He says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound up by the Gentiles. This is a fulfillment of that prophecy. And it says that the crowd was so volatile that... The, the guards had to take Paul and they had to carry him above, like they had to carry him and they went up some steps. And, but before they went into the barracks, Paul begs, this is crazy. 
uh, Paul is being saved from his enemies, and he says, wait, wait, can you put me down? Because I want to talk to them. I want to talk to the crowd. He begs the tribune. Even though this is what they're yelling at him, away with him. Do you remember uh, that being yelled at somebody else in Jerusalem? Jesus, right? The very thing that happened to Jesus is happening to Paul. Why? Because Jesus is alive in Paul. The Spirit of Christ rests upon Paul's ministry in his life. Jesus said, if they hated you, hated me, they will hate you. That's what's going on in this passage. Verse 40, and when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned his hands to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. He's saying, brothers, fathers, I'm one of you. Listen to me. And he says, listen to my defense. That word defense is the same word that is used in 1 Peter 3.15. When Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. So Paul loves these unbelieving countrymen, even though they hate him. And he is seeking to persuade them with a defense, with what we call a testimony. He's going to give his testimony in the, in the rest of this passage here. You know what? You know what one of the best defenses that you have as a believer when you're, share, uh, when you're trying to win someone or help someone see who Jesus really is is your testimony. Actually, the more I think about it, it's either your greatest defense or it could be a bad defense if your testimony, the way you live, is bad. But it's great if you can share what Jesus has truly done in your life. Verse 2 of chapter 22 says, And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So the crowd is dead silent. And he said, I am a Jew. He starts out, I am a Jew. I am one of you. I was born in in Tarsus in Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city. I was brought up in Jerusalem. I love this city is basically what he's saying. He says, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Now, Gamaliel was one of the most famous rabbis, Jewish rabbis ever known. He was living in Jerusalem at this time. Paul was one of the greatest scholars sitting at his feet. He was advancing in the uh, school of Phariseeism back in those days. uh, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that they found writings of Gamaliel, so I don't know if this is true, but what was said, I don't know why I'm sharing it, but anyway, it said that Gamaliel said, the only problem I had with Paul was that I couldn't get enough books for him to read. Paul, and, and that doesn't shouldn't surprise us, but Paul was a scholar under him. He's like, I'm, I was zealous for the law. I was educated um, like, like the highest education possible. And look, look at verse 4. He said, I persecuted this way to the death. You know, right now, those Jews that don't like Jesus, that are rejected, are going, yeah, okay. All right, maybe we had this wrong about this guy. He's, he persecuted, good. He persecuted the church, binding and delivering Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear, wit- bear me witness. He's saying this, look, 
The high priest knows that what I'm saying right now is true. I hated the church. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem and to be punished. Basically, he's just going, he's wanting to make sure he's relating. When you're telling your testimony, we need to be relatable. People need to understand that you realized you needed a savior. This is Paul's testimony. He's like, I'm just like you. I understand. And he's like, I understand where you're coming from. I love the law just like you guys do until I realized that the law was meant to be a tutor, to take me, to point me to Jesus. So I still love the law, but not in the same way you do. And he said, basically, he's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what he's saying is I hated these Jesus freaks just like you do. They kept telling me that he was raised from the dead and that I was heading in the wrong direction. And then he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Okay? There's pre-Jesus, then there's Jesus. When the light bulb comes on, when Jesus comes to you, personally comes to you and opens your eyes, he says, his, here's his testimony. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting not the church? Why are you persecuting me? There again, you, you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? What must I do to be saved? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And if you remember last time when, uh, when we read about this, I think it was Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion. He, a guy named um, Ananias comes to him, lays his hand on him, on him prays for him. His, eyes are, his sight is given back. He's, his sins are forgiven. He's baptized. And immediately he begins professing Jesus as Lord. Immediately he begins professing that Jesus is Lord in word and Indeed. Verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. All right, now look at this. Verse 21, he says, And he said to me, Jesus said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is important to understand because verse 22, it said, did I skip over something? All right, verse 21 says, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now look at verse 22. Up to this point, or this word, they listened to him. But the minute they heard the rain, and the minute they heard uh, the, <laughs> that he was going to the Gentiles, 
They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They began uh, tearing off their cloaks. They began throwing dust up into the air. Because why? Here's the reason, according to this, because Paul had the audacity to, to tell them that God loves the Gentiles too. God doesn't just love us. He loves the Gentiles. Listen, we've got to get that church. This is a truth we have got to get. I think we all are good with the God loves. We want to love God. We want to love the church. We get that. But we've got to understand that God loves the Gentiles. And their response to this shows that they are not growing in their love for God because they are not happy that God is merciful. They're not happy that God is kind to, to sinners like you and me. So, what I want to do is I want to um, close on something. And that is, I want to look at what did Paul think about these guys that wanted to kill him? He writes about it in Romans 9. It's mind-boggling, really. He says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. Okay, why would he have to start this way? Because he's like, I know you, you probably are not going to believe this. He says, I am speaking the truth. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. What I'm about to tell you is true, whether you believe it or not. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he's talking about the Jews that do not believe. Look what he has. He has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. For I could wish, now this is really blows my mind, I, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What he's basically saying is here, here is that I love those who have rejected Jesus. I have great anguish in my heart. And here's what he's saying. I wish if, if, if me switching places with them, if I could go to hell, be accursed, and they would get saved, then I would do it. Is that not amazing? Um, but why could he say that? Was he Now, let's go back to here. I am speaking the truth. Is he speaking the truth? Can, can you? Thank you, Grant. Yes, he is. You believe in the word of God. That's good. He is speaking the truth. Can you say that? Could you say that about uh, anyone that's, that doesn't believe in Jesus? And you could be amongst us this morning. Can you say that, man? If I knew that me switching places with, with you would, I would go to hell in your place, would, would you, can you say that? And I'd have, I'd have a smile on my face, knowing that you were in heaven. It would just bring me joy. Why could he say this? Is it because he was greater than us? No, it's because the love that Paul had for the church and the world was the same love that Christ has for the church and the world. That is the reason and it was alive in Paul. Jesus was the Holy Spirit. Christ was alive in Paul. And Paul is simply echoing what Jesus did. I'm going to read this in, in, as if Jesus said this. Jesus, hear Jesus saying this. I am speaking the truth. I am not lying. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the world 
for those who are lost. I don't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So much that I was accursed. I was cut off from God for the sake of all men and women that whosoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal everlasting life. That is the key. Now, as you look at those questions we asked this morning, are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your love for the church? Are you growing in your love for the world? There's only one thing you've got to do in order for that to happen, and that is to grow in understanding his love for you. As we understand what Christ did for us, how much he loves us, how much he's put up with us, how patient he's been with us, how he's provided for us, how he hasn't given us what we deserve. As we really get his, that, that he's not like kind of annoyed with us. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus likes you? Many, many do not. Many believers do not think he likes you. But now he, you know, he died for me, but he doesn't like me. You gotta, you know, you gotta love people, but you don't have to like them. Have you ever heard that? You gotta love people, but you don't gotta like them. Does Jesus like you? Man, he does. I don't know why, but he does. I'm talking about me, not y'all. He does. He has great affections for his people. He died for us. He wants, and he wants us to have those affections for one another. And those affections for those who are lost. As I've been looking through that list. This week, I have to say, there's some areas in here I am not growing in. I need to grow in. One of those areas is, is, is learning how to love the world. And I've, I'm acknowledging that. But you know how, how that's going to happen? It's not by me just going to try hard. No, I'm going to learn more deeply how much Jesus loves me. That's why we want to stay centered on the cross. That's why we want to keep pointing one another to what Jesus did for us on that day, that great day when he was betrayed by all humanity, was uh, proclaimed guilty for things he did not do, but he willingly died. He was accursed. He was cut off from God for our sake so that we would not be. So if we are going to love like Paul, we simply need to do what Paul did, and that is to know the love that Paul knew of Christ in his life. Amen? Amen.